Hallelujah. I tell you, there's just something about the Holy Ghost. Amen. When you begin to talk about, when you begin to sing about, when you begin to preach about the principles taught in the Word of God, when you talk about oneness, when you talk about the salvation message, when you talk about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost begins to move. Oh, hallelujah. I love
You may be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter number 29 tonight. I felt some power in the house a while ago. Amen. God is here. He is doing a work. You know, one of the ways you know you're doing something for God, it's when the devil starts fighting back. As long as there is no spiritual opposition from the enemy, then it's pretty evident that you are not affecting his kingdom. So when you begin to come against the enemy, hey man, there's going to be opposition, but oh, how much greater is the power of the Holy Ghost? Hey man, greater, greater, greater. Luke chapter number 11, we're going to begin reading with verse number 29. Luke chapter 11, verse 29. Uh, Hallelujah. We're just going to read all the way through 54, from 29 to 54 tonight. I'll read verse 29. Then I'll read verse 30, etc. Luke 11 and 29. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the othermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Verse 33. No man, when he has lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. Verse 35, Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Verse 37, And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and sat down to meet. Verse 39, And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye, Pharisees, make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, 
but your inward parts is full of ravening and wickedness. Verse 41, but rather give alms of such things as you have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. Verse 43, Woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye love the uppermost seat in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Verse 45, Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saith thou, reproach us also. Verse 47, Woe unto ye, for ye build the sculpture, or rather the sepulchres of the prophets, and of your fathers killed them. Verse 49, Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. Verse 51, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Verse 53, and as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently, and to provoke him to speak of many things. Amen. Well, we see Jesus in action here, uh, interacting with people, and there is controversy with these people. It is not a group of people that are receptive to what he has to say. They are combative with what Jesus is saying, but yet uh, he is bringing unto them truth. He is shaking up their world, and that's important sometimes that people have their world shaken because when you live in a glass house uh, and the earth begins to rattle, things begin to happen. Well, here are the people and they are seeking after a sign from Jesus that he is some great prophet uh, wow you think about all that Jesus had done up to this point he had fed the 5,000 he had healed all manner of diseases and sickness but yet that wasn't enough you're going to meet people in your life that has one excuse after another there is no way you're going to fulfill all of their excuses. If they could not be satisfied with the miracles that Jesus Christ had done and, and realize that he was a prophet and were demanding a real sign that he was a man of God, 
you don't have a chance to convince some people either. It's going to have to be a willingness on their part to take the word of God and apply it to their life and see the results thereof. As long as it's just something they're battling around in their gray cells and they're never willing to try it, you'll never convince them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So we do have that challenge. Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh. They repented as a result of hearing what Jonah had to say. Um... There's nothing here that is provable to the people of Nineveh. I mean, how in the world, the, the only thing that we have about Jonah that uh, we can figure from our modern-day technology is that him being in the belly of the whale, all of the acids of the, of the whale upon his skin and his hair and stuff, he may have looked like a freaky character, okay? But other than that, they, you know, they didn't have Action 9 News videotaping him falling off the ship. And, and uh, you know, there wasn't nobody sitting there watching the whale shoot up out of the water and him go out of the whale's mouth and fall on the ground. Um, it was a people that was willing to listen to God when God spoke into their world. Um, and he said, hey, into this generation, uh, what God has offered them is the passion of Christ. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Three days he was in the ground and he rose again. And if mankind cannot get a hold of the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and that he cares and he loves them and wants to be their Savior... They're not going to get much further down the trail. They're, they're not going to get much more of the precepts of the Word of God. You must get past Calvary before you're going to pick up anything else. So uh, that's one of the things uh, God has laid on our heart, this track, the living water. People need to get past Calvary. They need to get the resurrection in their life. The, the resurrection for us is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Our old man dies out. Our new man uh, is buried in baptism. Or rather, our old man is buried in baptism. Our new man is resurrected with the Holy Ghost in the newness of life. Then he begins to talk about the light. Um, a light on a lampstand, a candle shining forth. Uh, and he says we're full of light. There's several things with light in the Bible uh, in St. John chapter 3 talks about how that uh, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil so God wants the light to shine forth and he wants there to be a clear definition between that which is good and that which is evil uh, constantly the devil is always trying to make gray areas he's always trying to shadow the light he's always trying to confuse the equation He's always working to say, well, maybe this is acceptable. No, it's either light or it's darkness. Anytime you see a shadow, it's because something is trying to cover the light. And that is not acceptable. The light is to shine bright. The light is to shine forth. Truth is plain. 
and truth shines forth. Uh, people that are in darkness will come to the light. The light draws people. It brings them forth. Thank God for the light. May our light burn forth. May our light burn strong in our world today that we can be a witness and shine forth. Jesus was then invited to the house of the Pharisees, and uh, he didn't go through their ritual washing before dinner. And this amazed and confused the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were a group of people that took the Ten Commandments and they took the laws of Moses and all of these things, and they began to write down procedures that they would go through in order to make sure that all of these rituals and all of these laws, ceremonial laws, were carried out. It was a a ritual that they, they went through. And Jesus was coming to shake their world and say, Hey, I am not about you living a ritual. I'm about you having a heart relationship with God. What you're doing, you're doing because... You love God, and it's something that you feel in your heart is the right thing to do. You're not trying to obey the letter of the law. You're obeying the spirit of the law. Anytime we get into a place in a position where we obey the letter of the law, people are going to find loopholes and make loopholes to justify their sins. So these Pharisees had uh, these loopholes that they created. Bible talked about on the Sabbath day uh, underneath the ceremonial law they were only to travel so far from their home 5,000 something feet from their home was as far as they were to travel on the Sabbath day and so they were the Jews that wanted to go farther than that so what they would do is that they would pack a suitcase and they would say this suitcase is uh, my home so they would go 5,000 foot and they would set the suitcase down and say, this is the lo new location of my home. And they'd pick the suitcase up and they would march off again. They were, in their minds, obeying the letter of the law because the law didn't say that you couldn't move your house on the Sabbath. So they moved their house 37 times to get where they was going and 37 times to get back where they wanted to go, quote, unquote. They were obeying the letter of the law, but they just totally demolished the spirit of the law. What God was intending for them to do, what God's purpose and his plan was for them to do. Um, so when we are living for God today, God wants it to be something that is within our heart. That We seek him with a whole heart. We have a condition within us that says, God, I want to please you. As we preach Sunday night about identifying the world that is out there, we need to be the one that tags things and judges things ourselves. We need to be able to put an icon on it and say, is this something that is leading towards that which is good? Is this something that's leading towards righteousness? Is this something that's leading towards the kingdom of God? Or is this something that's leading towards evil and away from God? Those things need to be there. So Jesus gets into a very interesting discussion with the Pharisees here uh, over the fact that they uh, make a big pretense about cleaning the outside, but the inside is dirty. 
Um, he said, in, inside of you is greed and wickedness. Uh, you're going through a form and a ritual. Unfortunately, in our world that we live in today, there are so many uh, people out there that are hiding behind a cloak of religion. They are soothing their conscience. They are going through a motion in order to uh, try to make themselves feel better, to justify themselves in the eyes of other people, that I've got this, I belong here, I do this, I go this. And, uh, but they are not uh, searching their soul, searching the Word of God in order to be right with Him. And he, he looked at them and he said, Hey, you, you are doing uh, little nitpicking things here and there. And it's interesting how that we will see certain segments of the religious society that will nitpick on things. Uh, you know, you've got people that uh, are hung up on, the, on uh, taking communion all the time. Uh, you got people that, that are hung up on the communion bed, and they actually uh, teach that if you don't all drink out of the same cup when you take communion, you're not taking communion properly. Well, they've got a real problem with that theory, okay? Because how in the world do they get that cup to every church in America every Sunday? All right, if they actually believe that you everybody's got to drink out of the same cup, they got to have that cup go to every church. <laughs> so, the things that people get hung up on sometimes because you know Jesus Christ didn't tell us all to drink out of one cup he told us that as often as you observe the lord suffer do this in remembrance of me he says drink the fruit of the vine eat the unleavened bread and uh that's the instruction that he gave us and as long as we are obeying the spirit of that we're fine hey we can't go over to Jerusalem and find the exact house that he had Passover on and the whole world gather, gather at that house every Sunday and have Passover. That doesn't work either. So may God give us the wisdom and the desire to draw close to him rather than finding something to bring division with, finding something to argue with, finding something that is a point of contention. There are things that matter and things that are greatly matter and there's some things that Jesus Christ like here uh, he didn't go through their formal washing when he come in to eat hey he believed in being clean but this mess and this ritual they were going through was nothing but pride and arrogance on display and so you know he was shaking their world up just cause you say you gotta do it this way well no I don't I don't have to do it this way. So he began to talk to them and tell them, hey, you are doing some great and wonderful things. You, you're, you're paying tithes on your herb gardens. Now, that's, uh, that's some pretty meticulous accounting uh, that they're going through. 
But he said, hey, I'm not telling you to quit paying your tithes. I said, you know, that's great and wonderful. You need to be paying your tithes. But he said, the major things you've left undone, the major things you've got, you've got some problems with. He talks to them about uh, judgment and the love of God. Judgment. The Bible talks about the judgment must begin at the house of God. When we come unto God, then we truly learn how to judge things. We truly learn how to put them on the scale of balance and to determine what is good and what is evil. And as we begin to work on these things and put these things together, it's important that we have that, that we, we have righteous judgment within our hearts and our souls. All of that, though, must be touched and must be moved with the love of God. God does have compassion on people. They brought to him the lady that was caught in the act of adultery and said, according to the law, we must stone her. What do you have to say, Jesus? It was very interesting. He knelt down and he began to write in the sand. I don't have anything in the Bible that tells me what he wrote there. But if you'd allow me to go to Thomas 3 and 1, I would imagine that he might have wrote something like, Where is the man? They said they caught her in the act. Well, in order for them to catch her in the act, there had to be a man and a woman. But they only drug the woman down there. Brother Jonathan. God's law, His grace is something that's written in stone, that's impermanent. His mercy is something that uh, He brings to us because His mercy is designed to be a changing process, that it, it will no more be that way, that it will be erased and done away with. Uh, so, as a result of it, He looked up at them and said, He that was without sin cast the first stone. Maybe he actually wrote in the sand underneath that when he said, where is the man? Maybe he wrote the man's name out. Because something inspired fear in the hearts and souls of all of those around there, and they turned and they began to walk away. Because I believe that in their hearts and their souls, they realized that if they picked up a stone, that he was fixing to start revealing the sin that was in their life. Yeah. They, the lady in Samaria that he met at the well, track about the living water, he told her, I will give you living water. 
he went and he asked her to go get her husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus looked at her and said, I have spoken well. I've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. Later on in the passage, this lady goes back and tells the village there in Samaria, come and meet the man that has told me all the things that I have done in my life. God truly is a revealer. When the time and the place comes, he reveals things. I'll, I'll never forget. Um, my father talking about. Uh, There's one particular family he was working with, and they're in Texas, and they were, uh, they were struggling with. Uh, the television and uh, just just a really bad situation what was going on and uh, so the uh, husband went and took the television out of the living room went and put it out in the garage for whatever reason that was there and uh, my dad was preaching on the anointing of the Holy Ghost that Sunday night and he got up and said I want to tell you something it doesn't do you any good to go take your television out of the living room and put it in the garage if it's still in your heart. If that's still what you're wanting to do, you're still wanting to go out and, and watch those dirty movies, and you're still wanting to go out and be a part of those uh, perversion that's being broadcast on it. Uh, and so the message got forth, and that guy, he got home that night, and he lined all of his kids and his wife up, and he said, which one of you went and told the preacher that we put the television out in the garage? And he said, none of us. We, nobody told us. Amen. The anointing of the Holy Ghost spoke into his world and anointed the message, and it went forth. The Word of God was the revealer that was there. So may God give us, amen, a understanding of how that he wants to work in our lives, that we will be overcomers by obeying what the Word of God says from our heart, not trying to find loopholes, but trying to find a way to get as close to God as we possibly can. Um, Jesus was informed that he was insulting the lawyers as well as the Pharisees. The, the lawyers, the Pharisees, the scribes, this was a group of people, the scribes, part of the Pharisees were the ones that were the rabbis. It was their job, it was their obligation to teach the Word of God to the people. you got to understand, here we are 2,000 years ago. Not everybody could read. There wasn't a Bible they could hand to everybody. When they copied the Word of God, it was copied by hand. They wrote it out. And so the scribes would come and they would read the word of God to people and uh, they had training and schooling to try to bring the word of God. So Jesus was upset because they were not rightly dividing the word of truth. They, All of them were on this ego trip, on this thing that they were somebody special. They had it. Listen to me because I'm the one that knows what I'm talking about. Now, that can be a dangerous path to follow. 
anytime that you're working with people, etc., it should be your desire to say, hey, I am trying to share the truth and the word of God with you. Let me find the answer for your question here in the Bible. And let me tell you what the word of God has to say about this matter. That is what should be the presentation. Many people get in trouble when they make up their opinion on what they feel like they want something to be, and then they go try to find proof to back it up. They're going about it backwards, and you can come up with some really weird things that way. So, Jesus is not that excited about the uh, lawyers in his time period. Uh, he says, hey, you have put burdens on men that are as grievous to bear, and the things that you are trying to get people to do, you don't do yourself. And so that is one of the things that the church should be modeled after. The leadership in the church should be the example. They should be the role model. The things that they want people to do, they should be leading by example. I just don't, in the spiritual world, I'm just not very impressed with people that tell people to do things and they just don't do it. Uh, I, you know, I've seen preachers that uh, get up and holler and scream, worship God, worship God, worship God. And, uh, you know, they look like they eat prunes and that they're about to die of the dropsy and the heart failure all the rest of the time. Uh, may God give us the strength to lead by example. Worship has something to do with movement. When I, I'm moving, when I'm worshiping God, I am putting my emotions, my physical being, and my heart into what I'm doing. That is worship unto God. Uh, and all of my resources are backing that up, too, is a part of worship. He looked at him and he said, hey, you are the ones that are responsible for the death of the prophets. He said, I sent them prophets and apostles, and you slay them, and you persecuted them, and the blood of all the prophets from the foundation of the world will be required of this generation. And then it's very interesting here how this come out. God's an awesome God. He said, For the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias. Abel starts with what letter? Zacharias starts with what letter? That is what on our alphabet? The beginning and the end of our alphabet. In the Greek language, that wasn't the beginning and the end of their alphabet. In the Hebrew language, Latin language, that wasn't the beginning and the ending of, our, of their alphabet. God loves us, English-speaking people. <laughs> Amen. He gave us an example that was from our A to our Z. No matter where that they went, all the way. Because Abel didn't have any great exploits to read about. Just a very, very simple man of God that Abel 
and his offering please God. That's pretty powerful stuff that God would be pleased with what we do and what we give him. Giving unto God what God wants, what God is pleased with. Making God know that he is your God and he is your Savior. That's what worship is all about, coming and giving the best that we have. When I give from my heart, I'm giving my best that I am. And it is not about the quality of the item or the abundance of the item that God is looking at. It's, it's the obedience giving what God asked for. Abel gave what God asked for. He gave of a blood sacrifice. Cain gave also. And what Cain gave cost him. What Cain gave, he had invested in. He had been the one that had tilled the ground and raised those vegetables. But God rejected his offering because that wasn't the offering that God asked for. And so, don't ever get caught in that, that place where that you think what you're doing is great and wonderful to God, even though God didn't ask for that. That wasn't what God has asked for. You know, God didn't ask you to not never drink another cup of coffee all the days of your life. It's not what God asked for. He, if I have, I know those that have sacrificed that and they've never drunk another cup of coffee as a vow they made unto God and God blessed them and honored them for that. So I'm not going there and saying that God won't bless your honor, but that is not what God is asking for. Somebody said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to drink a coffee, so that means I can now smoke my cigarettes. That is not what God asked for. He didn't ask for you to do an exchange, a tit for tat on the situation. Amen. He said, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and we are to take care of that temple. We're not to destroy that temple. And so... Uh, and there's there's lots of things that are tied into when people are smoking cigarettes. They are giving an incense up into the heavens, and uh, it is not a godly offering up into heaven. So that within itself scares me. Uh, so anyway, we're not teaching on, on tobacco and the uses of tobacco, but that is one of the things that ties in here though and the fact that what we give to God must be what he asks for if he asks for prayer we give him prayer if we ask for Bible reading we give him Bible reading uh, for example there are some people that uh, take and they beat themselves with sticks and whips and all kinds of other things and uh, say that you know there are some that will crawl on glass uh, some that will walk across the co hot coals of fire uh, there are some that actually uh, will let people nail them to a tree uh, on Easter. God has not asked for any of those things. He's not going to be pleased with those things because that's not what he's asking for. Amen. The things that God asks for is what is pleasing unto him. 
Uh, nowhere in the Bible does he ask us uh, to count 37 beads as we pray. It's not what he's asking for. So we look for what God asks for. That is what is pleasing unto God. And then he says, you have taken away the key of knowledge. I imagine there's a lot of layers to that little onion right there. A lot of things that if we live over the next few years that we will get some more goodies out of this scripture. But there is a key of knowledge that he has. And these lawyers, as a result of their creating ways around the letter of the law, like the suitcase thing, you're taking away the key of knowledge from people. And he said, you've also hindered others from entering in, others from coming in and, and finding the key for themselves. Oh, my. It's dangerous when people are hindering other people. Very dangerous. Jesus made the statement, and he said, it would be better that a millstone would be tied around your neck and you would be cast into the midst of the sea than for you to harm one of these little ones. And I was thinking about that and praying about that this morning in the context of God speaking to my heart. I was praying for a particular individual uh, that was bent on this particular thing that, uh, you know, he just had to straighten everybody out. He just had to make sure everybody was lining up. And in the process of this crusade that he was on, there was people that were being hurt so bad that they were leaving the church. And, you know, the scripture came to mind that, uh, you know, the pastor of the church is going to give an account uh, and that he could do it with joy and not with grief. But somewhere within that, that minister, that man of God is going to give an account on how he treated the flock. Now, there's different ways that you treat people according to the condition that they're in. When someone is sick, you treat them to provide healing. Now, when you have a sheep that is rebellious, they tell me that when a shepherd has a sheep that keeps running away from the flock, a little baby lamb that keeps running away from the flock, that shepherd will take that lamb and it will break one of its legs. And it will then that lamb has to be carried around that shepherd's neck because it can't walk anymore. That costs that shepherd a lot more than it costs the lamb. Because for the next few months, everywhere that lamb goes, it goes around the neck of that shepherd. It has to pick it up and take it to the water and and help it graze, bring the food that is there. 
But at the end of the process, that lamb has created a great relationship and it knows that that shepherd loves it and cares for it because it has provided it life and without that shepherd it would have died. So, within the context of it, the care that is provided for people, the, the love and compassion for people and, and showing them God's goodness and mercy and, and helping them around, there is a key into all of that, into knowledge, a key into understanding that is there. As a teacher of the Word of God, it should be my goal that I begin to open up and unlock some of the mysteries of God for you so that you can delve into them and that you can get closer to God and you can have an understanding. I know that there are going to be times that the anointing of the Holy Ghost is going to come forth and it's going to shine light and it's going to be great and enlightenment and all of that. But through the process in the family of God, God is equipping all of us for a ministry. God is equipping and training all of us so that we can be a mentor to somebody else in Christ Jesus, that we can help bring somebody else along the path, that we can help bring that special personal relationship with other people in their life. The one-on-one -on -one is important in the kingdom of God. And if the only person doing one-on-one -on -one is the pastor and the pastor's wife, you're not going to have a very big outreach going on in your church. But if I can one-on-one -on -one somebody and then they can go out and then they are equipped to one-on-one -on -one, and I can go one-on-one -on -one somebody else and then the numbers begin to grow because the keys have been opened, the doors have been unlocked, you have knowledge, you have understanding and the safety of, of having the house of God to come back to and, and having someone to be there to help you is is what God wants. He, he puts together the family uh, of God and the experiences there and, and the strength and the help through the battle. But God wants us to have the key that unlocks things. And that's one of the beautiful things about Peter. Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom of God. And on the day of Pentecost, he stuck that key in and he unlocked salvation for all mankind. Beautiful, beautiful analogy. Uh, Jesus truly was interested in the keys and what was locked and unlocked. Let's stand together tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's ask God that he would go with us this week, that we would be looking to give somebody a key that would help them unlock the word of God in their life. God, give me the wisdom and the knowledge that I would have a key that I could share with somebody. Dear God, you see each and every one of us tonight, oh God. Lord, you have spoken into our heart, God. Lord, you have touched so many of us, God. You've filled us with the Holy Ghost, Lord. We know who you are, dear Lord. We have keys to the kingdom of heaven in our possession, oh God. God, when we come across somebody, Lord, that the mysteries of God are locked up, oh God. Salvation is a darkness, oh Lord. Oh God, someone that is hurting, Lord. Someone that is in pain, oh God. Lord, that we would go unto them, O oh God, and we would offer them the love of God, and we would show them the key of eternal life, O oh God, how much you loved them, how much you cared for them.
Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy tonight. Dear God, we ask you to go with each and every one of us, strengthen us, keep us, protect us, oh God. Allow this week, oh Lord, to be a blessed and productive week. In the beautiful, beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.